This episode is brought to you by our friends over at Built Bar. Built Bar is a protein bar that tastes just like a candy bar, except they're far better for you. Just one bar has between 130 and 180 calories, 19 grams of protein, and between 3 and 7 grams of sugar. And you can capitalize on this by using our code BIGSHOTS, all one word, for your next Built Bar purchase to get 10% off. Built Bar, join the team. What's up, guys? Welcome back to the Big Shots NFL Draft Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Hernition, joined as always by my colleague over at Blue Chip Scout and the best co-host in the business, Devin Jackson. And today, we are lucky to be joined by the QB guru himself, Mark Schofield of Inside the Pylon. Mark, how are you doing today? Devin, how are you doing today? Guys, I'm doing well. It's great to be back. Great to be with you again. Always good to have you on. Uh, how's the, how's the weather out there? Uh, we got hit with a bunch of snow today. I'm looking not at all forward to having a shovel once we're done here. Yeah, I saw you tweeting about that. Um, we just got like a quick dust in it, like snowed for like maybe 40 minutes. Um, probably something I could just push around with a broom when we get done here. So not too bad where I'm at. I'm so jealous. Um, uh, so, <laughs> uh, just kind of, you know, funny note that I've noticed my, one of my older cats, he likes to wait at the back door and stare out onto Young Street and watch the traffic go by. And he's very sad right now because on the back deck, there's actually two hill, separate hills of snow that are blocking his view. And it's he can't see it. He sad. can't see the street. He's so sad. Devin, how are you today, man? Doing pretty good. Uh, I'm actually getting quite a bit of snow here. Uh, I think a little over an inch over in the last hour or so. So it's coming quick. Uh, and, you know, I'll have to shovel probably later in the day myself. Uh, but other than that, I'm doing pretty good. Uh, excited to to talk football here and, and have Mark on the show. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, for those that have been listening to us for a while, maybe around this time last year, uh, I think it was like right before the combine, we had Mark on because Mark is um, the go-to in the draft Twitter community for really all things quarterback. Um, when you listen to Mark on any you know uh, podcast, you're going to come away learning about not only deeper looks into the the guys that we already know, but you'll probably come away with four or five guys that you didn't know existed. So we figured, why not do the same thing this year? So we're kind of going to, you know, think about these tiers of quarterbacks because I think we can all agree that it's, it's a very top-heavy quarterback class this year. So with that being said, Mark, when we talk about the first tier of quarterbacks, are we talking about the first four of them all in that tier, or are you separating them at all? I mean, I'd always put it into a tier of, I, w- I would say it's a tier of four, and then you sort of, you know, rank them however you want to rank them. Um, that group at the top, Trevor Lawrence, Zach Wilson, Justin Fields, Trey Lance, um, I honestly think you could almost rank them any way you wanted to. I know some people have said maybe Wilson is QB1. Um, there's been discussions about that in recent days. Um, and I can understand why people might make a case for that. You know, I still think that Trevor Lawrence is the quarterback one of this class. I think what we've seen with Lawrence is something similar to what we saw with Deshaun Watson a couple of years ago, where prior to the season, everybody said, look, this guy's clearly the surefire QB1, like this guy's great. And then other guys rose and people chipped away at Watson to the point where Watson ended up the third quarterback taken. Um, I think something similar is playing out with Trevor Lawrence as we've seen Zach Wilson rise and people have sort of come around to the idea that maybe Trevor Lawrence isn't this like generational prospect that people built him up to be. I think the idea that he's best since Luck, best since Manning, best since Elway, 
that really sort of hurt him. Um, but I don't think it changes the fact that he's NFL ready. In my mind, he's QB1. You know, and then from that, whether you want to put, you know, Wilson two, Fields two, Lance two, you can make a case for any of those guys. I'd have Fields two. I'm very intrigued by Justin Fields. Um, Wilson three, Lance four, but all these guys, you know, none of these guys is getting out of the top 10. Um, they're, they're all top of the board, first round quarterbacks, early first round quarterbacks. I'd be stunned if any of these guys are available, say at 12 when San Francisco picks. Yeah, absolutely. You mentioned it, like, you know, top uh, top 10 players, I think, for all of them, and, and all for very different reasons. I think that with, with Fields and Lawrence, you're getting so, – Ed uh, Wilson, you're getting someone that right away can be your guy. I think that a, a player like Trey Lance fits really well in a, uh, in a, for a team like Atlanta, and I wrote about this in an article – uh, that I posted yesterday is that he's the perfect one, you know, um, QB for like a Philadelphia, a, um, Atlanta, Detroit, even in that those teams that didn't make the playoffs, but have a kind of QB in place right now. That's not their guy. So Jared Goff in, in Detroit, obviously don't think he's the long-term picture. You could get Trey Lance and then ship Goff off or Philadelphia. I think it would be hilarious if they drafted another North Dakota state quarterback, um, after what happened with Wentz, although scout the player, not, you know, not the helmet. Uh, but, you know, I get the feeling that Hurts isn't the guy. Maybe you give Hurts half a season, a full season, because again, Lance is not, uh, pro ready, but the skill set there, there's no way he makes it out of the top 10. The fact that we, for the first time ever, could see the first four picks being quarterbacks says just how many teams need the position this year, which is sad because it's not a very deep class. No, it's not a deep class. Like, it's very top-heavy. Um, You know, after you see Matt Jones come off the board, whenever that happens, it might be two or three rounds before you see a quarterback again. And that's probably going to be Kyle Trask. Although, you know, you see names rise. But the need at the top of the draft for quarterbacks is such that you might see the first four quarterbacks, I mean, the first four plays off the board all being quarterbacks. You might see Matt Jones come off the board in the top 15. Um, just because of the, the positional need this year and the fact that, you know, more and more teams are realizing that if you don't have the guy, you need to find him. Uh, it's the reason why you're hearing rumblings about maybe Minnesota moving on, maybe San Francisco moving on. Because if you're not sold on your guy being the absolute answer and being the guy that you win games because of, you're going to try to get that guy another way. Yeah. And then when you get into like the, the, the teens, like New England at 15, Washington at 19, Chicago at 20, like those are all teams that could go quarterback. And so that's why we'll probably at least see five, but that might be the only five we see for a while. Yeah. I think it's kind of interesting. You know, the, the Cardinals a couple of years ago really kind of opened Pandora's box in terms of, you know, usually you, you let a guy go through three, four years as a first round, you know, quarterback or, you know, you gave the guy, you know, your quarterback a very, you know, long leash. Now it's like if you've gone through 16 games, you've got enough on your plate that we can judge you. Look at Denver. Denver's been talked about as moving up, you know, from their quarterback, although they're more looking potentially for a veteran quarterback from what I've heard. So you mentioned the top four. So what would your second tier of quarterbacks be? I mean, the second tier, it's really just Mac Jones. Um, it's sort of that QB five spot. I know some people are intrigued by Kyle Trask and I think there's some things to like about him. Um, but we're seeing Matt Jones sort of rise and some people might even put Jones say at the bottom of that first tier. And if you want to do that, that's okay too. Um, 
there are a lot of things to like about Mac Jones. I mean, the, the scheme fit, he'll fit in a couple of different offenses, the production, the accuracy. Um, you know, my sort of reservations with Mac Jones and why I'd sort of put him more in a tier by himself is that I mentioned two quarterback situations in Minnesota and San Francisco with Kirk Cousins and Jimmy Garoppolo. I see a lot of those two guys in Mac Jones. I see a lot of quarterback you win games with, a guy that the situation has to be right for, a guy that is sometimes, at least for my taste, a little bit too conservative. You watch him on film, you watch him down at the senior bowl, and there are times when if something isn't quite right downfield, he'd rather check it down, and some coaches may like that. Some NFL coaches may love that. Some NFL coaches might value that higher than some of the other guys we've already talked about. Um, so would it surprise me to see Mac Jones go earlier than people are expecting? Not at all. Uh, but from my vantage point, I think it's a situation where everything has to be right around him. Everything has to be right on a given play. Otherwise, he's going to be really conservative with the football. And I tend to look at those guys and think, you know, there's a reason there's a phrase NFL open. Like not every play is going to be wide open on Sundays. Like you're going to have to take some risks. And if you aren't willing to do that now, you're not going to get to a point when you're willing to do that in the NFL. So I, I that idea of getting a more conservative guy to be aggressive, it's one that I always thought, you know, players and coaches tend to struggle with, you know, at the National Football League level. Yeah, when it comes to Jones, I, I am a little bit um, hesitant for, for those same reasons. I I know he's going to go in like the top 15. I think that it's kind of a given. I've seen him a lot, and our guy Jared Feinberg absolutely hates that he's being connected to Carolina at eight. Um, I just, I mean, I have him as kind of like a mid-second, and that's kind of, you know, usually that's where that last guy that you expect to go in round one always ends up for me in that kind of like 40 to 60 range for me, you know, on my overall big board. Um but yeah, I, I I know he's gonna go high. It's gonna be one of those where I just I don't like it. It's gonna be one of those. Yeah, and I mean a lot of it might really depend on which team is the one that drafts him. Like if it's say Carolina, Carolina, I mean you could see it working because of Joe Brady's offense. Mm-hmm. I mean a lot of people have sort of pointed out in a way there are some similarities between Joe Burrow and Mac Jones in a sense. Um, neither guy is a super athlete, although I do think Burrow is a bit more athletic than Jones. Both guys were surrounded by elite talent in their last season in college. You know, obviously Joe Burrow had Jefferson, and we saw what he did with the Vikings. That you know, we're going to see Jamar Chase, maybe the first wide receiver off the board in this class. You look at what you know, Mac Jones had to play with Devonta Smith, Jalen Waddle, Najee Harris. You know, so the guys had weapons around them. You know, I do think the difference is that ability to create outside the pocket off of structure. I think. That's an area where Burrow is a lot better than Jones at, which I think you have to have in the NFL. But that, you know, Joe Brady offense could work for him. You know, maybe the system in San Francisco, that Shanahan offense, um, that's been known to sort of prop up, you know, middle tier type of quarterback. So that would be an environment where I think he'd be successful. There are a lot of people that have made the connection between, you know, the Alabama Belichick saving coaching relationship. Um, so he could wind up in New England. I think there are some environments where it could work, but if you're asking him to take on a lot from an athletic profile, I think you're setting yourself up for trouble. I think you're also going to, with Jones, need to have at least one star weapon around him in order for it to work, because if you're asking him to go out and play hero ball, I don't think he's built for that. Yeah, I think that's right. Yeah, uh, I, I definitely agree with the sentiments on Mac Jones, uh, but kind of the after Mac Jones – 
Uh, there's a lot of guys that probably are going to have like mid round, late round intrigue. You know, you got guys like Davis Mills from Stanford. Um, you know, Kyle Trash, like you mentioned before, Ken Lamont, Jamie Newman. Uh, where do you kind of have those next tier guys ranked and, uh, where do you kind of see their NFL future lying at? Yeah, Devin, I mean, it's an intriguing sort of second tier, or if you want to say third tier after the Jones tier, um, with those names that you mentioned. Davis Mills is interesting. Um, he's a bit more of a throwback type. He's a bit more of a, you know, stationary pocket battleship type of quarterback. I was very intrigued watching his UCLA game. Um, that was a game where he got knocked around a ton through a bad pick six, but then brought them back to win. Um, so he showed some of that competitive toughness, which is something that matters at the position. Um, you know, I think the arm talent is enough. It's NFL sufficient. Um, so I think teams might value a player like with that skill set. But I'm more of the mind that in today's NFL with a premium of athleticism at the position with so many teams having athletic quarterbacks, you'd like to find sometime on day three a QB that can give your defense that kind of look to get ready for Sunday. Um, so I look at two guys, Mond, and actually three, Book, Mond, and Newman, that have that athleticism, where if you're getting ready to play, say, a Lamar Jackson on Sunday, uh, Patrick Mahomes on Sunday, guys that can move around, guys that will stress your defense, guys that will stress your pass rush, you want to have a quarterback that can obviously not replicate that one for one, but can give your defense a look. And so those guys have some value. I, I, I'm very intrigued by Jamie Newman. I thought his offense was so strange at Wake Forest and that it was both quarterback friendly and quarterback unfriendly. Like they did so much from the RPO standpoint. They had plays where they had designed pump fakes where he's he's pump faking on a swing route and the running backs making it look like he's catching a throw um, to sell linebackers to open up stuff over the middle. So that was stuff to help him. But then at the same time, they would do this thing where they would walk him down the line of scrimmage, and then pull and throw. Um, it was really weird, and they asked him a lot from that sort of standpoint. And so I think, you know, it was a friendly and an unfriendly office offense to work with, um, but he has that athleticism. He has that arm talent, and I think there's a reason why you might see him come off the board late. It's that ability to sort of give your defense a look. I think it's interesting that you mentioned Ian Book in that in that group because uh I mean most of us at, at Blue Chip have, have gotten a chance to look at him and uh man uh if only we could share some of the the word for word sentiments that our guys like Dante Colladelli and Clayton Smarzlock uh, have have said it has not been friendly to Book his you know from what we've seen his accuracy is really not at an NFL level but I get that kind of I guess for lack of a better term, that, that like practice team to get yourself prepared. But where are, where's an NFL team going to value that? Yeah. I mean, you're still, I, th- I think it, when we get to this sort of Mond Newman book area, we're, we're talking late day three. Um, we're talking a situation where you're looking at somebody that is a lottery pick, you know, maybe you could develop him into a upper tier backup slash spot starter, um, but in reality, you're really looking for somebody that can get your defense ready to go, that can get your defense, you know, prepared for what you're going to see on Sunday. Um, I think Book can do that with some of his athleticism, some of his ability outside of structure, outside the pocket. Um, 
the accuracy, like you said, it, it's it's spotty at best. Um, I, I think there are times when I'd like to see him be a bit cleaner with the lower body mechanics. I think that certainly hurt him a bit. Um, but I do think the teams, when you're getting into that area of the draft, you're looking for people that can contribute in one way or another. You know, if it's a position player, can they contribute on special teams? You know, maybe it's a specialist as well. Um, but I think a quarterback that can get your defense ready has some value to it. And I'm also of the mind that teams should be looking at taking developmental quarterbacks because you also want to be getting that QB2 spot upgraded. You know, because if you lose the starter, um, you're lost. And so I think that, you know, upgrading the backup spot matters in today's NFL. And a guy that could perhaps do that is does provide some value. Yeah, definitely. We saw a lot in the past couple of years with really bad backup quarterback play. I mean, I think it's Seattle where if they lose Russell Wilson, it's Geno Smith. Right. You know, Patrick Mahomes goes down, it's Chad Henney. Like, none of that is inspiring. You, you know, so I, I do get your point on that. Two guys I'm surprised you haven't mentioned yet in terms, and maybe that's the next tier, that kind of priority UDFA in your mind, um, are the Shane Bouchel, actually, I guess three are, uh, Shane Bouchel, Kellen Mond, Felipe Franks. Have you, have you gotten a chance to see these guys and where are you at with them? Yeah. And I mean, you could probably put Mond into that tier we were just talking about. Um, I, I mentioned him in passing. I didn't really dive into him. You know, I, I think he's a bit of a high variance type player. You've seen flashes, whether it's on tape or at the senior bowl, where he certainly has some talent. Um, but it's a, a lack of consistency that I think is his biggest issue. Um, you know, the other two guys, um, like you said, they're sort of that you'd priority UDFA types. Um, Frank certainly has arm talent, certainly has size. Um, you know, it's, it's a decision making standpoint for him for me. Um, you know, can he put together the NFL type reads and decisions with the speed that matters in the National Football League? One thing I do like about him, in contrast to say what we, we were saying about with Jones, he's certainly not a, shy about challenging NFL windows. He's willing to take risks with the football. He's willing to challenge teams downfield. He's willing to be aggressive. He was particularly aggressive down at the senior bowl. Um, which I thought was good to see because if you're going to check the ball down on Tuesday in practice, you're certainly going to be more than willing to check it down on Sundays. The fact that he was willing to push the ball down the field, I thought was a really good sign for him. Um, you know, late day three or a priority UDFA. I mean, when you're betting, when you're taking that lottery pick at the end of the draft or priority free agency, you'll bet on trades. And he certainly has some things that people will like. Now, for uh, kind of some guys that may not necessarily be getting the buzz, but uh, who are some of the guys of some of the quarterbacks in this class that uh, you found intriguing in terms of guys that aren't really talked about or from small schools? Uh, who are some of the guys that intrigued you, uh, Mark, in, in terms of that? Yeah, I mean, I think there's two that come to mind. There's Zach Thomas from App, App State. Um, he's worked with Tony Rossiopi, who I know, um, over a test football. Um, he's got some athleticism. You know, he's a little bit more undersized, um, but he does have some athleticism, moves around well, has the arm talent. Um, wouldn't surprise me at all if teams value what he brings to the table. And in a similar vein, Brady White from Memphis. Um, I like his pocket footwork, his management of the pocket, his ability to move around really well. I've got some people that are asking me about him all the time, so I do want to watch a little bit more of him. But Those are two I've guys seen, that are next for my QB evals, actually. So yeah, glad, I mean, glad you mentioned them. Yeah, those are two guys that I think people should do some work on because I, I think, you know, they're very intriguing. KG Costello caught my eye when he was at Stanford. 
Um, I had higher hopes for him when he was with Mike Leach this year. It didn't quite come together, but there's some talent there. There's some traits there that I think, you know, people will want to do their work on with him. So those are three guys as you sort of get late into your own quarterback process. Those are guys put, worth putting the film on for. I am so glad you mentioned KJ Costello. Um, and not and not for the reason you would think, because when he had that game at, at the start of the year against LSU, yep. Mississippi State Twitter as a whole turned on me because I still didn't buy into Mississippi State as a you know in the hype train that they had built for themselves. Um, I had them ranked behind LSU, and, and that drove them absolutely nuts. Uh, turns out I was somehow both wrong and right because well they. They both sucked this yeah. year. Um, but yeah, he, he did not play well. I think the, it was the Kentucky game. It was like three, three or four interceptions, which was not good. He looked terrible. Ended up losing the starting job. He's going to have a lot of questions to, uh, to, to answer this year. Again, you look at the, the Stanford tape and there was hype around him, but Stanford and Mississippi State could not be, you know, Stanford under David Shaw and anything that Mike Leach has has fingerprints on, they're very different. I don't know if he was up to that task. Yeah, I mean, it's they're two wildly different offenses. Like you watch Davis Mills this year in Stanford's offense, you watch Costello in Stanford's offense, and you watch sort of the Mike Leach system. They're two wildly different offenses. Um, and you know, perhaps the COVID situation had something to do with it, with Costello's sort of you know struggles at times in that Leach system. Um, but again, when you get to this point of the draft or mm-hmm. with Castell, it's probably more a UDFA. You know, there are some things that you can see on tape from him that will make you say, look, it's worth taking the flyer on. Um, because that's what we're talking about at this point in the process. We're talking about guys that, you know, you're not, you might not take a draft pick on. Um, but you'll sign in free agency. You'll get into a camp. And in some cases, when you get to that end of the day three, you'd rather as a player pick your spot, right? You'd rather as a player not get drafted so you can go to an environment that you think fits you best from a scheme fit, from a talent perspective, from a coaching fit. And so some of these guys that we're talking about, if they don't get drafted, it might be the best informed because they can go to an environment where maybe that quarterback room is a little weaker and you might have a better shot to stick around than, you know, getting drafted by a team that's got three guys already and they're just picking a guy to pick a guy. Yeah, uh, when it comes to the, the UDFA discussion, I'll always think back. I think it was the, I think it was the Mariota Winston draft. It was 2015. Brandon Bridge, the, the, the South Alabama guy. I was rooting for right. him because he, because he's from Toronto. Um, his brother and my brother were, 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 uh, teammates in college. So I was rooting, you know, rooting for him. And I just watched him fall down the board. And of course I, I thought he was going to be like a early to mid day, day three guy. And I kept seeing that I went, wait a minute, he can pick his own landing spot. Now, it didn't end up working in the NFL, hasn't worked in the CFL. Um, so I will transition that by saying, you know, there are some, some guys that, you know, maybe the NFL isn't the best bet for them. Maybe they catch on as like a practice roster. Are there any guys that you've watched it, that you would describe as that? I have one. I don't know if you've watched him yet, which I'd be shocked if you hadn't because it's you. Uh, David Moore from Central Michigan. Yeah, I see. I, I've only studied a little bit of him. It's hard because um, he didn't play this year. He was yeah. suspended the whole year. Suspended the whole year. Um, you know, there's there's some talent there, but you know, I, I think you're right in the sense that he's probably not somebody that's going to stick around in an NFL roster. 
Um, you know, I, I think there's an opportunity for him to go elsewhere first. Like you mentioned, the CFL bridge. I mean, I think that might be a situation where, you know, he might want to look north first before trying to come back and playing in the National Football League. I think I'm trying to pull up my notes on him right now. But, yeah, that's probably a situation where he could go there. You know, another name that people have talked about a little bit is um, we haven't mentioned Sam Ellinger. Uh, oh, no, Texas we haven't. Um, you know, and that's another guy that I was kind of hopeful would stand out down at the Senior Bowl, uh, but didn't quite do it the way I would have hoped. Also seemed extremely conservative at the Senior Bowl. Maybe that was an offshoot of what he did on film this past year at Texas. Um, you know NFL teams are going to like him from that leadership competitive toughness standpoint. You know, he looks like the guy that's going to take command of a room, take command of a huddle and all that stuff. Um, really good off of structure, uh, but it's the on structure stuff that I think is his biggest question mark. Uh, and just why he's probably going to slide into mid to late day three. I think it's hilarious that we got to, to David Moore before we, we, we went to Texas for this. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I think that kind of says all it needs to, but yeah, like just, I, I, I can't remember who I saw it from, but it was a tweet the other day about how, like, every year since 2015, we've seen double-digit quarterbacks, and there's likely a chance we don't hit double-digit drafted quarterbacks this year. Yeah, it's possible. I mean, I, I saw, I think it was PFN had a scout on, or somebody else um, had talked to a scout that had 13 draftable grades, um, and I think that might even be high. Yeah. You know, I, I'm I'm more in the like 10 to 11 range in, in terms of guys that I think are like full on draftable. Um, and even that might be a little bit generous. Uh, I think there is that sort of gap between say Jones and Trask where you might see Jones in the mid first round and Trask sometime late day two, maybe even early day three. Um, and so it tells you that, like you said at the start, Mike, this is a very top-heavy group. You know, when you have an opportunity to see five in the first round and then not another quarterback for, say, 40 to 50 picks, that's a big gap. Um, and even that next tier... That's like almost two full rounds, if we're if we're being honest with that next tier after, after Jones. So. Yeah, I mean, so Mel Kuyper Jr. said earlier, whether it was Sunday or Monday, you know, if you want a quarterback, if you need a quarterback, go early. Otherwise, forget it. And this is, I think, true that year. And I'm usually somebody that sort of loves, as you know, that like late day three type of quarterbacks. I've liked a lot of guys over the years in that sort of range. Uh, but this year's class is a bit different. Um, this year's class is very top heavy. And you're really taking lottery picks, I think, once you get to that sort of Newman, Book, Felipe Franks kind of group. Yeah, yeah, <clears throat> it's, it's definitely going to be a gamble. Uh, there's a few more guys that I wanted to bring up and kind of go back to your discussion about uh, Zach Thomas and some of those other late day three guys. Uh, someone that's kind of intrigued me as uh, probably uh, a priority UDFA uh, is Brady Davis from Illinois State. Uh, he's, he's someone that was down to Hula Bowl and uh, kind of has, a, you know, has a strong arm, a nice size for a quarterback. Have you gotten a chance to watch him and, and take a look at him? Yeah, I've, I've watched some of Brady Davis, um, you know, saw some of the Hula Bowl stuff too. Um, certainly athletic, certainly has the arm. Um, you know, when you're seeing him and, you know, he's got a bit of an injury history, mm -hmm. um, there's talent there. There's traits to bet on. Um, 
you know, people will probably say, well, Illinois State, it's a level of football. You know, there's a level of competition concerns there. You know, I don't think that matters too much. I think you're talking about somebody that has shown that he can play at times at a good to elite level. Um, he's shown that he has some of the traits that matter in today's NFL athleticism, ability to throw against leverage. Um, you know, people might get caught up on progressions and read structures and things like that. I don't think that matters too much in today's NFL. You're, you've got a man side, his own side. You're, you're, you just need to know that difference. And he's shown that on film. And so, yeah, you know, like you said, Devin, when you get into this range of the draft, um, there's going to, it just takes one team and he's shown an ability to do some things at a high level that matter. And I think that some team's going to like that. And so would it surprise me to see him come off the board in this draft? No, it wouldn't surprise me. Um, I think it's more likely, you know, he's somebody that we're seeing get signed right when the draft ends. But, you know, certainly somebody that's going to be in a camp, you know, once the draft is over and once rookie minicamps open up. Yeah, there's there's one more that I can think of that maybe could sneak into that draft, that late end of the draft uh, being selected. And it's uh, Peyton Ramsey from Northwestern. Had a good uh, run at Indiana, obviously lost the starting job. Devin and I were covering it last year. Uh, Michael Penix, you know, was, was kind of chosen to be the guy. Uh, and I mean, looking at Northwestern from 2019 compared to Northwestern with 2020 with someone who was competent enough to play quarterback night and day, I think that might be enough for him to get kind of late round consideration. I think for, for sure you're looking at a, a career backup. Uh, yeah, but I, I still think he's he, he has a chance to get drafted. Yeah, I think he does too. He's been so interesting because I remember when he was at in, in, at Indiana and he had that athleticism and they used him in designed packages. I mean, I saw him play at Penn State. I forget who Indiana had the quarterback that was wearing like twenty or something. Oh yeah, um, I, I know. I know you mean. I can't think of who. who and he was the guy that they opened the season against Ohio State on Thursday night, and for like the first half they were dominant. Um, but then it all sort of fell to pieces and then Indiana, you know, they started burning Ramsey in, um, athleticism, had some arm talent, could move around well, um, did a lot of option stuff with them. And like you said, Mike, this year, the Northwestern, that offense was at least competent. Um, and again, it's that similar discussion, that bet on athleticism, that ability to give your defense sort of a look during the week. You know, Ramsey's going to do that for you. I think he suits sort of that West Coast modern spread based West Coast system with, you know, the stuff you can do in the short areas of the field, um, that zone read stuff, using your legs as a runner, which matters, you know, when teams can play 11 on 11 in the run game now because of the quarterback's athleticism. I think that's a big bonus for an offense. And so he might hear his name called. I think, like we said, you know, it's becoming a recurrent theme here, probably more that priority UDFA type, um, but certainly somebody that I've seen some of. And I, I think could help an NFL team next year, both in training camp and beyond. Now, I think the next question I got for you, Mark, is going to be an interesting one, because for the first time in 20 years, it's obvious that the Patriots need a quarterback. And I know that you're a Patriots guy. So who from this class would you like to see the team come away from? Or who do you think that they would value in this class? I mean, given where he sort of stacks generally, I, I'd love to see them get Trey Lance. I think he'd be perfect for them. Um, especially, look, I'm not foreclosing on the idea that they bring Cam Newton back. Um, you know, I think Cam Newton's situation sided late, and he talked about it this weekend. Um, you know, COVID certainly impacted him both from signing. I can attest late. to that. It, it, yeah. it sucks. Um, and he, he said, look, when he came back from it, like he wasn't quite the same. And so, I think, 
they could bring Cam back, draft Trey Lance. I, I, I think that would be fantastic. Um, in all likelihood, it's going to be Mac Jones. I'm sort of preparing myself for that. And, you know, if they draft Mac Jones at 15, like, okay, here we go. Um, you know, I do think there is something between that Belichick Saber relationship. I think he'd know the offense really well. I think he, he does a lot of things that they value at the position, tr- traditionally speaking. And so I'm, I'm sort of getting ready for a, I mean, my dream is Cam and Lance. I'm sort of setting myself up for a Mariota and Jones. Realistically, would you be more in the camp of just wait till 2022? <laughs> I mean, yes and no. I mean, look, Spencer Rattler, Sam Howell. I mean, there's some talent in the next group, of course. Um, but you don't want to be picking at 15. You don't want to have all this cap space. Like, I'd rather they address it now and get somebody in with a year to, like, get under their belt than sort of hope that you can be in a position to draft somebody next year or use draft capital to get up to the board because then you're talking about either you're going to have a bad season and you're picking up the top five anyway or having to spend the draft capital to get there. I'd rather they address it now and see if they can find an answer in this year's this year's cycle than next year's. So just kind of avoid the whole cycling that treadmill uh, you know, get the rebuild going now instead of just pushing it off for later? Yeah, I mean, they're on the cusp where they might be have to own up to the fact that it's rebuild time. Um, this is a, a defense that wasn't as good as we thought it was going to be last year, and I think Stephon Gilmore's injury situation hurt them. I think the opt-outs with Hightower and Sean hurt them. And so, you know, they might be close to a full-on rebuild situation, and I'd rather they just get that process started than kicking that can down the road and having another, say, 8-8, eight 7-9 and, eight, seven and nine season. Yeah, yeah, man, for sure. Um, you know, kind of just taking the class in, in general. Um, you know, if you're, I, I guess this is the last question I have, but if you're the Jets at two, are you taking Wilson or are you taking Fields? I'm leading Fields. Um, you know, I think there's a lot to like about Zach Wilson, Devin. I think there's a reason why people are putting him in the QB1 discussion. Um, he had one great year. And he had some okay years before that, at best. I look at Justin Fields, who's done it at a high level for two seasons against Big Ten competition. Um, I think the questions I had about Justin Fields, you know, it's interesting, this discussion we've seen in recent days about progressions and reads and things like that. Those were concerns I had about him last summer that he answered in my mind this year. Like, when you watch that game against Clemson from two seasons ago, did he – Get to the right answer on plays, yeah, but he was like a step late. It was like he knew where to go eventually but wouldn't get there quickly enough, and I wanted to see him do that. And he did it this year. He asked Brett Venables if he could go through progression reads and get to the right read on a play quickly. He certainly did in that game against Clemson. Um, he did throughout the season, maybe the Northwestern game, the Indiana games aside. Um, I think the idea of him in sort of that LaFleur-type system is only going to maximize his potential, whereas – Benjamin Solak wrote a great piece about it over the weekend about Wilson's already been in a QB friendly offense and he's been okay. Um, that might be what all you get out of him. And so if I'm the Jets and if I've decided to move on from Donald, which I think is a decision they still have to make, I'd lean fields over Zach Wilson. But I think both guys would fit in that offense really well. Um, I think their bigger question is as a roster top to bottom, you have more holes than just the quarterback position. You know, you've got picks at a two and in the twenties with the Jamal Adams trade, 
you know, you could do a lot of damage if you trade down, if you stay there and make a pick. Um, I know people have mentioned maybe, you know, drafting Sewell and, you know, sliding him to right tackle. I know that's a tough transition at times, but he's athletic enough. With Beckton and Sewell at your bookend tackles for the next 10 years, I mean, that's pretty tremendous. Um, they can do a number of different things. And so very intrigued to see what the Jets do. But if they've decided to move on from Darnold and draft a quarterback at two, I would lean Fields over Wilson. Yeah, this is going to be a very uh, interesting class at the top because, again, it's, you know, the first two we we in all likelihood know are going to go quarterback. And that just comes into three, who trades up. Um, I, I, I can't help but think that we're going to have 1999 all over again with three quarterbacks in the first three. It's just whether or not Atlanta makes it four for four. Um, but Devin, unless you've got anything else, I don't have anything for Mark. So I think maybe we call it here. So until next time, guys, as always, thank you for listening. Uh, you can subscribe on iTunes, leave a review, really appreciate it. You can find me on Twitter at Mike H underscore draft. You can find Devin on Twitter at RealD underscore uh, Jackson. Follow the show on Twitter at Big Shots Pod. Follow our work at Blue Chip Scouting. Follow Blue Chip Scouting on Twitter at Blue Chip Scout. And Mark, I just want to make sure I don't screw up your handle, so give me one second. <laughs> or if you want to drop it, too. That, it's, that, yeah, it's just my name, at Mark Schofield. I keep it nice and easy. You'll get lots of total <laughs> references, scrubs, gifts, uh, pictures of my cats. That's all I do. All of my fleets. If people are actually fleeting, they're just pictures of my cats. So, uh, but yeah, on Twitter, I I'm appreciate Marshall. that. Yeah, there you go. There you go, Mike. Absolutely. You know that the, the tweet for this podcast is going to involve, uh, scrubs for sure. It, like it, it just, it just is. Uh, so yeah, again, thanks for coming by, Mark. Looking forward to it. Hopefully next year in Mobile, we can all actually be down there. No global pandemic. Devin doesn't get snowed in. Uh, we should be good to go for 2022. But until next time, guys, take it easy.